You're listening to the Illustration Hour podcast, an interview podcast where I talk to illustrators, art directors, and agents about the craft and business of illustration. My name is Julia Dufosse, and I'm an editorial and commercial illustrator based in Chicago. And I'm chatting with creatives within the world of illustration to learn about their process, the challenges they faced along the way, and how to succeed as an illustrator today. Welcome back to the Illustration Hour podcast. This is episode three, and this one is a goodie. Today, I'm very excited to welcome two amazingly talented creatives who work as one as a creative duo called Cabeza Patata Studio. Cabeza Patata is a creative team composed of Katie Manzis and Abel Reverter. He's a 3D artist and animator. She's an illustrator and a craftswoman, but they have many talents. Together, they are redefining what it means to illustrate. Their illustrations are wonderfully tangible 3D creations that look as though they are carved out of plasticine. Their clay-like characters are delightfully odd in proportions and a real treat to look at. They have an impressive client list that includes the New York Times, Google, Apple, Adobe, and many more. You can find Cabeza Patata on Instagram at Cabeza underscore Patata. And just so you know, Cabeza Patata is spelled C-A-B-E-Z-A and Patata, P-A-T-A-T-A. You can also find them on their website, which is amazing and has a lot of information about their process. I highly encourage you to check it out. And that is www.cabezapatataltogether.com www.cabezapatata.com. In this episode, we have an incredible conversation on a wide range of subjects from getting started in illustration to the secrets of a successful collaboration. We talk about the one essential platform you need to be on to promote yourself and get clients. Hint, it's not the one you think. And we talk about the many gender stereotypes that still plague the field of illustration and also animation. Katie and Abel were kind enough to share some really detailed information about how they work, and their work is really at the forefront of modern illustration. And they also shared how they got started and how they continue to learn and produce amazing work. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Katie and Abel of Cabeza Patata Studio. So Katie and Abel, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with me. I'm really, really happy to have you. Um, and I, I love your work. And I love the care that you put into your storytelling and your message. Um, so first, I want to ask you if you could both take a few seconds to introduce yourself. Um, Katie, if you want to start. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thanks so much for having us on as one of the first guests. Um, yeah, I'm Katie. I'm I'm from London, uh, and I well, I started illustration quite late actually. 
I studied first of all French and politics in university, which was quite different. And then I was always had wanted to do illustration. So after finishing that, uh, we came here to Barcelona to do a master's in illustration, and and we stayed here, living much, pretty much between the two cities, uh, and started working together a year ago. Yeah, <laughs> and um, myself. Um, Abel or Abel, you can say. Oh, like, so uh, you're Abel. You sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Many people say Abel, and I, I've heard so many different versions of my name during the like. I, I guess I was going to pronounce it how how I wanted to pronounce it, which was Abel, yeah, yeah. because I'm French, <laughs> but oh, okay. I Americanized it without noticing it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah, no Abel, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, myself, I'm I'm a motion designer originally. I studied media in Madrid. And after finishing university, I moved to London. I started uh, working as a full-time motion designer and video editor in a studio there in London. And after a year and a half, I started freelancing. And then after that, I spent almost five years freelancing on almost every single studio in London. Uh, probably that's an exaggeration, but <laughs> I've been to at least 30 different studios in London. I've been to like all the big production houses and also in small indie uh, production companies. So yeah, like that that was before starting Cabeza Patata. And even at the beginning of the studio, I was still freelancing, doing motion graphic jobs here and there. And I still get emails from people and I'm, now I'm, I'm saying no. <laughs> okay, that's that's really cool. Um, so how did you guys, how did you guys meet? Uh, actually, we met in London. Uh, we met doing a summer course in an art school called St. Martin's. Uh, and that was almost six years ago now. Uh, but we were living in London during that whole time. Actually, I was still studying then. Uh, and so we were, we always did like little collaborations and things like this uh, during the whole time. And, and Cabeza Batata, the studio, is really like the collaboration that stuck. No? Yeah. Yeah, we were, we both are like driven to like, we we like uh, crafts, we like uh, little uh, small projects. We, since the beginning, when we started, because we are as well a couple, so when we met each other uh, the, at the beginning, Katie was still studying and I was already like working in the industry. And, but we always had these creative collaborations going on between us. Even if, of course, Katie didn't have all the time to do them because she was studying. But but yeah, it's something, it, it's been there from the beginning, from the very beginning. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. So uh, how do you usually explain what you do uh, together as part of Cabeza Patata to people? Well, it depends who we're talking to, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm guess talking... let's start with, well, let's start with uh, people in general, like anybody, somebody who might not know about illustration or design oh so usually we explain to people like we are a carta design studio uh, or we we can say carta design and animation studio the interesting thing when we talk to general people is like they usually say to us like is that a job like how how do you how do you make a living out of that because nobody really thinks i i think we are used to see carters everywhere we see them on like branding and and on like you know when you have your cereals when you like every day you spend your life seeing different characters but nobody thinks that there's someone behind making those characters it's interesting no mm. what do you think Katie like yeah definitely I think we go I definitely go more 
specific the more somebody knows. So I start saying design. I don't say illustration because everyone always says, oh, do you do children's books? And we've never done <laughs> one. But shout out, we'd actually love to do a children's book. Um, but yeah, but then we narrow it down. And, and I would say character design studio. But definitely people say, oh, what for? And I mean, for everything, really, for all different print and uh, and online campaigns or also for video. I mean, there's so much scope for for having characters that that people don't realize. Yeah, I think because they're mm. so used to seeing them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can de definitely identify with that with the when you say illustration, people are usually a little bit confused or maybe skeptical that mm. you can make money with it. And also they don't really know what you mean. Um, they don't think about editorial or commercial illustration. Mm. And they think more about children's books. Um, but it, it's so common for illustration to be kind of something that you do on your own, um, even when you're a professional illustrator. So are people ever surprised that you're, that you're a team doing this, that there's two of you? Yeah, I think, I mean, there, there are a lot of, especially I find because of being a couple, there are a lot of preconceptions and stereotypes that people apply to the way we work, uh, which is not at all like people imagine. I think uh, what like people try to put their heads around like what we are, what we do, and the way we, they do it, sometimes they put us in little boxes and they say, oh, so Abel does this and Katie does that. It's interesting because we it's not how we like usually work. Uh, we, 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 we usually share almost every step It's difficult. Nobody ever sends an email without the other person checking it, but it's not because we are checking if the other person did it wrong. It's because mm -hmm. we want both our voices to be applied to the, to, to, to the tone of every communication we do. Yeah. It's so collaborative from start to finish from the first email we receive from someone to the final delivery we give them. And. I think that we, we definitely try and present ourselves like this and explain what our studio is and what we do. But definitely people always like to say, is this person who does this and this person who does this. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I think it's difficult to explain because it's hard because like you say, uh, illustration, typically people imagine somebody alone in their room drawing children's books, Yeah, <laughs> which is very poetic, but it's really not at all how we work. <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess I'm I'm guilty of representing you like that too because uh, a lot of the articles I read about you guys uh, talk about how Katie, you are an illustrator, and Abel, you are uh, you're a, a motion designer and an animator and a 3D modeler. Um, so I think a lot of the articles kind of portray you as having two distinct roles, and that might not be what it's like in actuality, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's been happening a lot. And I mean, probably we are guilty as well of not having really changed the description on our website, which, which at the very beginning, uh, it's a bit how it was formed. So the way, uh, like originally, I, I am coming more from a technical side, uh, I guess, because I worked on so many different uh, projects as a freelance that I learned to, you, you learn when you're freelancing in, in motion graphics and in 3D, you learn to imitate many different styles. So I knew how to, how to like do a lot of technical, very different technical things, but those, those technical abilities are not that relevant anymore with Cabeza Patata. I think mainly because 
Now we do one thing and we focus on doing it very well. So probably if on the technical side, maybe I know still more than Katie, for the things that are necessary for Cabeza Patata, we both know how to do them. And I think that's the important thing. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's, it's, it's just like we never wanted to be a, a very technological studio. We almost try to hide from clients how much technology is involved into everything. Uh, and and we, we try to make them focus on the artistic part of it, no? Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely feel like I, I've learned so much more of the technological side from Abel since the beginning, uh, mostly because that is the thing that can often take a lot of time and otherwise uh, we wouldn't be able to share the task properly. But also I think it's really important that both people in a creative duo know how to do everything, even if one person masters something more than the other. So at least when you're giving feedback on each other or when you're trying to find a good position, you know what's doable and what is impossible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So so you have a, a sort of equal footing and a context for what the other person is doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Especially when it's something so technical like this. And somebody, sometimes you might have a client who'll say, oh, maybe this can turn invisible and then a light could move through it and it could set on fire. And you think, wait, 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 like, I know you have all of this in your imagination, but you need to remember (laughs) we need to make it. So (laughs) so it's definitely important in that respect. Yeah, Yeah, I think I think we find as well being two and I've been finding it more and more right now. We're working on a big project and and it's interesting that how we uh, sometimes when we are talking to clients, we play roles. Uh, in which one person is kind of the, 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 how do you say, the bad police and the good police? Yeah, mm, good cop, uh, good cop, bad cop, yeah. And, and it's amazing how we... That's amazing. <laughs> we don't really talk about it, but somehow during the conversation, it becomes obvious. If maybe Kate is having a, I don't know, a bad day or you're feeling a bit more like angry about certain feedback, maybe then I turn to the, the good cop and I say, oh, guys, but we are so happy with the project. And then <laughs> the opposite can happen sometimes. And it's interesting. I'm, want, I'm worried if one day we both turn into the bad cops at the same time <laughs> where things are going to go. But yeah, so far it's been, it's been going great in that, like doing it like that. Yeah. That's really great. Actually, I can totally see how that would work. And yeah, I, I, some, I guess my wife is also creative so i know what it's like to be like in a relationship where you're both creative and doing creative mm-hmm. stuff although she doesn't she does illustration but she works as a graphic designer during the day um but i could also foresee it being really difficult um because i have tried to collaborate with her on some things um and it hasn't always worked out so do you remember uh the first time that you realize you could work together, like it's the in- first time that you realize you wanted to do cabeza patata as well. It's I don't interesting. Know if that- At the very beginning, we were when we were developing the look of the characters, we had a couple of moments in which it it felt that it was going to be impossible to do it mm-hmm. because we were. I remember one day, Katie was still studying her masters and she went to university. And when she returned, I had done some modifications in the heads of the characters. And I was so happy about the result. And she arrived and she said, oh, I don't like it. And I remember that we, we got angry, like being like, I was like, oh, you, you I, I, I think I said like, oh, you don't want to evolve the characters. Like we need to make them better. And, and we had an argument. And the next day I woke up and I realized that the characters looked so awful. What I had done was such a bad idea. <laughs> um, but, but since then, 
I don't think it's been weirdly like busy or something. It's a weird thing that has happened in the studio, which we haven't had that many moments of really. We we got the same intention, both of us, and now we are. It's more about having the time to do it. Yeah, more than... I think I, the only moments now after I remember that specific moment, it was the eyes. They looked so creepy. <laughs> uh, but after after that, now sometimes if say I've made some I've made some clothes or something on the character and I kind of know they don't look very good and I'm like oh they're ready and then a bell goes mm, they don't look very good I'll get a bit annoyed but it's because mm-hmm. deep down I know they don't I know and actually it happened to us today yeah today yeah I didn't want to do that make a change I knew it would look bad but I, it was <laughs> it was sometimes I mean there's the, the, the part of the technical side that we don't want to show to clients takes so much of our time that mm-hmm. it, it's I think Sometimes there is a misconception about like how these, at least in our in our perspective, like how the creative process works. But definitely ninety five percent percent of time, like we we spend it actually working on the thing. We don't have that many moments of talking about it. It's more like we know where we want to get, and during lunchtime or every time we have a break, we talk about what we think about the project. But it's it's, it's definitely not. There's not a lot of like. Um, big boards in which we write like words like creativity and we connect them with arrows it's it's that's more for the films but that's, not at all but yeah. I think as well that's where it helps uh that we're a couple living together as well because we're always talking about the project and so I think that's really nice for a client as well we we're saying we always joke to them like oh, okay we'll we'll talk again on Monday if it's the weekend but you know, we'll have a lot more ideas because we'll be talking about it all weekend because we're excited. <laughs> and with a lot of studios, you're not going to get that. Uh, but with us, it's like nonstop, you know, we'll go to sleep talking about it and wake up talking about it if we're excited. So. Yeah. So you can claim that you have much longer hours, I guess. Oh, it's 24-7. Maybe <laughs> 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 a little moment yeah. to sleep. <laughs> and do you guys think you have the same taste in like aesthetic decisions, I guess? I th- I think I think we really do. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's it's weird, but I like I, maybe on certain things, like we are not exactly having the same taste. But it's it's weird that uh, I can put an example. Like we we bought an apartment like six months ago, and we had to go through the like we bought it here in Barcelona, and we had to go to all the building works and also buying all the furniture and all those things and. Mm-hmm. And everyone talks about, you know, the crisis when you go to IKEA and or when you when you start taking those decisions for the house. And it was so weird how we both were agreeing on like going to IKEA was always so much fun. <laughs> and so I think I think it was because we have very similar tastes. We both agreed on and obviously this is about, you know, buying furniture, but I think it extends a lot to the way we see. It's weird the moment in which we don't agree. Like when an image is looking good, we both agree that it's looking good. Yeah, yeah. or when if we create an image which uh, we feel might mark a bit of a turning point that might be something that looks a bit more refined or we like the colour palette more, we'll both agree that we need to push forward with that. It won't be we'll arrive somewhere and someone will say, oh, let's push more that, and the other will say, oh, no, it's more, I think it's, yeah, we're, we're always in agreement, really. I think definitely we have the same taste. I don't know whether that developed together or whether we both already had it or... I don't know. Yeah, because I also wonder that. I have I have a similar experience being in a couple where we sort of... Our tastes are pretty aligned. And actually, that might have been the reason why we are a good couple. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it came before or after. 
Uh, but I still find that sometimes when you're critiquing each other's work, I particularly have issues with that where I'll be very negative, and maybe that's because I'm French, but I'll be quite uh, direct about my negativity, and that uh, that doesn't always bode well. Yeah, I have that with Katie, Like, but that was before starting the studio. When Katie started studying illustration, I was, I guess, because I, I had more uh, technical knowledge by then, so I would do critiques on the technical side. And um, for me, the, the critiques on the technical had to be much more direct, because if you are talking about some creative decision, uh, you, you need to be soft because it's your opinion. But, but if something mm-hmm. is wrong, if she like had done the wrong resolution, I would say directly. And I remember the beginning, you... I always said... You have to first say you like something and then you can critique. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what they call a compliment sandwich in America. Yeah. <laughs> I am the queen of the compliment sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand that. But that's, for example, sometimes that's something that's not, it doesn't feel natural to me to do the compliment sandwich. Sometimes <laughs> it feels a little bit artificial. But at the same time, I do understand that, I guess the way that you express your opinion about something and sometimes it's not so clear cut what the right or wrong decision about something is. But Abel, you were talking about more technical decisions. So there's there's more like clearly a right way or a wrong way of doing something. Yeah, in definitely. That case. It, with with the technical part of, of Cabeza Patata, for example, so many things like clothes are, are quite technical. So things can be like... Like they can be done well or they cannot. Like uh, sometimes making clothes for the characters can be a mess. Sometimes you have like certain like the collar is crossing the neck, and and it mm-hmm. can be very difficult to solve those problems. And sometimes we need to encourage each other to. Oh, sometimes if someone gets frustrated, I think I was getting frustrated today with some trousers that wouldn't fit yeah, in. I just quietly took over. So Katie <laughs> took over because she saw that I was struggling. So it's about. That, that that's what we mean with with this idea of collaborating and both being able to tackle it. It's also like allows us to not to feel that we are carrying this heavy weight on our back, and if we do it wrong, the other person is not gonna be able to produce mm-hmm. their part. Um, I think I think it's that flexibility. But yeah, definitely myself. I I always love the technical side of things. Uh, like naturally, as even as a teenager, I would like. Weirdly, I would like like knowing about resolutions and and when I was in university, my favorite uh, subject was uh, a technical uh, class we had talking about like different compressions of files, and it's and it's funny because I really know about it and I always I never tell people that so many times when a client is asking for certain format of videos they they say wrong they they confuse like what is a codec and what is the the container of the file, and I always tell Katie, and she's like, "Oh, just just don't mention it. It's fine." <laughs> I have very little interest in resolutions, <laughs> yeah. But it's good that someone does. <laughs> um, it's so why why did you call it cabeza patata? That it means potato head, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot of reason to be fair. It's um, whenever you tell people, they first of all they laugh. And then they always remember it. Uh, mm. And that was kind of what we wanted, I guess, in the name. Something that didn't take itself too seriously, uh, that was clearly unique and clearly us. Um, it didn't really need to be. And also we like the, you know, we, we, we like that it's in Spanish. Uh, it's 
It and, and I mean the, the the how it sounds is my favorite thing. The the way it came like the, where the name came from, it was like as a, it was a question one day. I think Katie woke up in the morning and she asked me like, "How do you call Mister Potato Head in in <laughs> Spanish?" Uh, and I and I said, "Oh, we called because we called Mister Potato we Mister Potato Head. We called uh Mr., like we call him Mister Potato. <laughs> That's the name, Mister <laughs> Potato." And she said, oh, it would be so funny if you call him Cabeza Patata. <laughs> and, and we found very funny that name. And it was with us, like, I remember, like, like months before starting um, Cabeza Patata, I have this uh, birthday card you gave me, Katie. <laughs> and she drew my head as a, as a potato. <laughs> and she said, like, oh, you're such a potato head or something like that. It was for my birthday. And that was at least six months before starting the studio. So, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I guess your characters have uh, heads that could be interpreted as potatoes a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, but so when did it? When did it start exactly? I guess I don't know the exact year that Cabeza Patata started. Uh, last year at the end of January, we made our first illustration. I remember it well because we made. The illustration and then we were at a party in London talking to some friends and they were saying oh that's so cool were you guys going to do more or something and we were like oh yeah we were thinking about making some more illustrations together see how it goes uh and from then yeah we just didn't stop really I think I think that when we made the website was around mid-February mm-hmm. towards the end of February so it took us like a good month thinking about like what was the entire thing uh, like what was it about uh and then it was we continued working until summer without really getting that much like we didn't get commercial work we got Mm -hmm. a pitch and some stuff so i was still freelancing katie was still finishing university but we were producing loads and loads of personal work and also by then you were still um you know katie was running like katie like she does embroidery and you were still getting on jobs like with that so yeah, I was doing at the same time as uh, finishing my master's, I started uh, my embroidery brand. So I was doing personalized embroidery for either clients or collaborations with studios. Uh, so we were both kind of working a bit on separate things and then also working together p- to produce all of these illustrations. And then at some point we decided to sit down and make a website, uh, make a name and a logo and everything. Uh, and we wrote actually to... Uh, some different agencies and people in London and we got our first uh, representation agency in London quite early on uh, which is I think we uh, have a website. Jelly right no. yeah jelly. that was Jelly yeah 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 we got on a so we we got on a contract with Jelly like for six months like a trial period we got on a few different representation agencies on trial periods because we wanted to see if it was going to work for us so we didn't want to commit to anything uh, another of the things as well is that it took us forever to sign that six months contract because Katie's mom, uh, she's a lawyer and she wants to check every single paper we sign. <laughs> yeah, she's specifically a copyright lawyer. So yeah. for her, it was like she had a field day with this contract. And we were like, that's very useful, it, actually. It. <laughs> it's very useful. And what is interesting, because sometimes we don't sign her contracts anymore because it takes forever, <laughs> even for a small job to be able to sign it. But mm-hmm. it's interesting because what she says is like how, um, you know, like in our industry, like people don't think much about it. 
I guess like she's coming from like she represents people that write books and so imagine if you write Harry Potter and then you you get the wrong contract you can lose billions yeah in our industry so fast like we usually produce an illustration for a newspaper or a magazine and two weeks later the illustration is not relevant anymore for the magazine so you we usually don't care we don't think there is value on the illustration beyond the publication but it doesn't always have to be like that. It's true, know? yeah. It's a bit bad because we kind of always sign away all the rights, yeah. which we shouldn't really do. But We are controlling that sometimes. Yeah, we know? look at them properly, but there's not quite often there's not a lot of give in these type of contracts. You can you can limit them, say, to two years. Um, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. And that, I feel like, is the best thing that we can do. But often, I mean, we know people that have got into a lot of trouble with this, having had their illustration. They've done one illustration for not very much money. And then suddenly it's appeared in poster campaigns and in mm-hmm. uh, books that are being sold all over the world and they're not getting any type of royalties for it. So definitely it's, that's a big problem in the industry. Yeah, so you're talking about licensing or yeah, uh, both, usage both li- rights. Exactly. Like both licensing uh, when you give an image and the same with a representation agency. When you're signed for a representation agency, you need to know what you are doing because... Uh, First is the, the subject of exclusivity. What does it mean? What, what do they mean with exclusivity? Because if you get another job, are you going to have to still give them a percentage? And also, like, how are they going to sell you? Like, uh, we were very worried about, um, like, if, if we were going to be almost like having to do certain jobs because they wanted us to do them, and also how they are going to sell us, like, what are the type of clients they were going to take us to? Personally, what we ended up finding after, but not, not, not because of Jelly or because of any of the representation agencies we had, it's not about them. It was clearly about the way we want to work. We are so, uh, I feel like at least right now, we really like the independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, what do you think, Katie? Like, why, why do you think it's like, uh... yeah, yeah, definitely. I think we like independence. We like, uh, we love to work directly with clients. Uh, mostly we work directly with clients and and it's so great to have that relationship and that immediate back and forth and to show someone your work and their see their reaction to it instantly is so cool and I think quite often you can lose that I mean you can gain a lot from having agencies I think it depends a lot on the person people are always asking for advice uh, but I think it's really difficult to give it depends on the case one of the things that I mean, one of the things that can happen is that if you don't have an agency, you don't get jobs. And if you are not getting jobs, obviously, it's better to have an agency because at least you are getting work. But in our case, we were finding that most of the work that was coming to us was coming through like platforms like Behance or through like people that had seen us on Instagram or maybe on a magazine that did an interview with us. Like, So we, we found that it didn't make sense to have someone selling us around the UK or Germany or wherever when we were selling ourselves just by publishing our work. So, and, and I think that that not having that extra filter was like saving us one step that for me is crucial. So right now, after six months, we decided not to continue with anyone. And I think it's like after summer, we've been, been working non-stop. We've been working really. non-stop, yeah. yeah. Oh, so you're no longer represented by no, Jelly. By we are not represented by anyone now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we represent so ourselves. <laughs> I have a couple of questions. Actually, mm-hmm. I wasn't 
I didn't know that um, one of the things I heard, because I, I began illustrating full-time last year, um, is that you don't reach out to agencies. Agencies reach out to you. And you seem to be saying something different. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. Because my feeling was that agents don't want to sign you unless you have a demonstrated track record of getting a lot of jobs. Uh, well, I think it depends a lot. In our case, at the beginning, we didn't have any jobs yeah. uh, and they wanted to represent us. But you uh, reached out to them or they reached, reached out, out to you? Yeah, we no, reached we out reached to them. Out, yeah. we, we reached out to, to them. But like Jelly had a, how were they calling them? Jelly? Uh, futures. Yeah, Jelly Futures. So they have a like a program inside the, the, the agency mm. to, for people that are, that they think that they're going to get big. So they they put them on a special part of the website. And I guess when clients want, like, when they want to get something fresh, they go for that. But it was at the very, very beginning. I think, I think agencies saw at the beginning that our style was not, I think even if it wasn't, because I don't think it was really good by then, but I think it, it was quite unique. Like, yeah, it was definitely really, quite different. Yeah. Did they like the idea? You think that was a yeah. determining yeah. factor? I think they saw the potential. Even at, at the very beginning for me, it wasn't that until we made clothes onto the characters. I don't think it was as unique mm -hmm. Like uh, because I think there was more people doing it. But when we started making the clothes and it's something that not that many people... I mean, we can, one of the things that we find with the Cabeza Patata is like we cannot find anyone doing it in the same way like using mm -hmm. like uh, realistic clothes and doing all the things we are making now we're seeing it like uh, more of it around the internet like people that are starting to make it but still like there's nobody doing it in a you know for big clients or on mm. a on a professional way so so i think they saw that i mean th that's their job they are good at spotting when something is gonna is gonna grow quickly so i think they saw that yeah This episode will continue in a few minutes, but first a short interruption to let you in to some important details about the show. First, you can find show notes, resources, list, and more on our website, www.illustrationhour.com. The URL format for episode show notes is always the same. It's illustrationhour.com slash last name of the guest. Illustrationhour.com slash, that's a forward slash, last name of the guest. Check it out. It has tons of links to resources and material that will greatly amplify your experience of the show. Sometimes I have guests email me extra recommendations and resources after the show, and you can find those exclusively on the show notes. So definitely check them out. Again, the website is illustrationhour.com. That's illustrationhour.com. Second, this episode is brought to you by the Illustration Club, which is my newsletter roundup of the coolest things I've encountered that week. It's a short weekly email that contains four to five things that I enjoyed that week. It's chock full of inspiration, cool stuff from around the interwebs, illustration related news, quotes, articles, or purchases I'm enjoying. It's free, it's not long, it's not spammy, and you can unsubscribe at any time. If you enjoy the show, you will likely enjoy this too. And it helps support the show and keep it going. So go check it out at illustrationhour.com slash club. That's illustrationhour.com forward slash club. Thank you. Thank you. 
do you recall what your first steps were when you start self-promoting? Did you post on, on Instagram first or Behance or I guess your website came first. You said you made your website in first February. Your website. No, first, oh, no. first we started with Instagram. That's actually. true. No, we didn't start with it. No, Abel, we both had Instagram accounts and mm -hmm. Abel's was more focused on his personal work and mine was focused on my personal work. And somehow, I'm not sure how, I kept mine. Um, we converted Abel's to Caveta Batata. Yeah. We deleted all of his work. <laughs> yeah, because you can, so you you can get an Instagram uh, account. You can change the name. And if you change the name and you delete all the posts, basically what you keep is the followers. So I think we had by then, maybe I had like 800, 900 followers on my account. But we thought so it good was start. a good start. Yeah, it was a very good start. It was a way, it's very... It's, I mean, it's it's difficult the moment when you only have 20 followers and you need to post and you basically get zero attention. So it was a yeah, way although, of Yeah, although it does, it does pick up rather quickly if you produce work regularly. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's quite weird with Instagram because, uh, like, we still don't know how... Like, I think nobody really knows how those algorithms work. Uh, but, but sometimes Instagram decides that certain images are... You know, I'm gonna go a long way. I guess they and get you kind of know in the first half hour. <laughs> yeah, you know, in the first half hour. So we did that. We did the Instagram, but I think that what put us really out there was the first time we got the Behance badge that happened on the we. So uh, I don't know if you use Behance, but I do. I don't have a lot of success with it yet. <laughs> yeah, it's a very difficult platform because I had a lot of work that I had done uh, as a freelance there. And it didn't get any attention, but we made a project. We call it um, Everyday Women. Was yeah. that one? Mm -hmm. And and we put it out there, and they gave us a Behance badge, which basically means that they put you on the cover of Behance. I know, um, I know. It's a very coveted uh, way to be featured, and a lot of people see your work that way. Yeah. It, so it really, really worked. Yeah, and it it really definitely felt like that. Really raised our profile. We made well. We we really like Behance uh, because you can. The way it works is that you make these projects uh, and mm -hmm. you can put in put in everything into the project, put in the whole work in progresses, explanations of why you decided to do something, how it came out, what challenges you might have had. And, and we think that's a really nice way, especially because, as we we're saying, so much work, I feel, is behind the scenes in what we do. It's great to be able to show, oh, here's the render before we put any colour onto it. Here's the initial sketch and then how it turned out. Here were some ideas for clothing we had. And so we started to do that uh, quite early on. We always recommend to people that if they're starting in illustration, it's great to try and make projects out of what you do because quite often otherwise you can find you make an illustration and then you put it on Instagram and then it disappears. And then you make another illustration, you put it on Instagram, it disappears. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this way, what we were trying to do instead, we said, okay, we'll make a series about sports. So we made six different athletes in 2D and in 3D, made all of the clothes. We made a whole project about it. Uh, and that one got a Behance badge as well. And hmm. and we put in as well, we chose that moment to explain like the research that we'd done into the sports as well, because we were really focusing on women in sport and how for so many years, women haven't been allowed to play sports and the you know women's football was actually banned by the FA and that's why there's not so much attention for it now so we really got to be able to put our message out there within the project too and I think that people really like to see that and people really respond well to it 
so we always recommend Behance for that. Yeah, we That's... we got we got actually this recommendation. Like uh, we were sitting. Uh, this is this is studio in Barcelona. It's called Six and Five. Uh, they make something completely different from what we do. They make a really beautiful, abstract but very realistic three D renders. And they usually, when they were producing images that were many of them were completely abstract, but they would find certain you know connection between all of the images, and then they would put a name, like usually a very poetic, beautiful name, and they put all the project under that name. And they were saying that that would allow them every month or a couple of months, you know, wrap up everything they had been doing during that time and just put it as a project. And and when when Ezequiel, that, that he's the director of Six and Five, he told me that. I thought like, wow, that's an amazing idea. And, and it really worked. It yeah, really... it's how we continue to work when we do any personal projects. We also create a whole project with it. And I think that really helps uh, not only having it on Behance, but when you're beginning and you have a website, it helps you to look like your projects are a bit more important. It helps it look, I mean, quite often we've had clients who thought that those projects were commercial. Someone mm. thought we actually made a fashion range mm. and we didn't really correct them. because Yeah, it was very what funny what happened, actually. <laughs> we went to a, a meeting in London that was like before summer. So we had been running for like maybe four months and they started talking about how much they liked our staff. And they said, I think we call it like a fashion cabeza patata, but because it was like too long, like the, the name was, uh, was too long. We, we've said fashion CP and and the woman that was talking to us, she was so nice and she said, oh, I love the project you made for CP. And we thought <laughs> like, oh, that's that's employee for ourselves. But we we continued the conversation <laughs> because we thought like, is she is she thought that it was good enough to be some com- a commercial, a commercial project? It was yeah, it was go good. It. Yeah, go with it. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a little white lie. Um, <laughs> but that's that's kind of amazing and actually i think that's a really great tip on behance because i've seen projects that do really well have they have a very central cohesive theme and i think the way that you're approaching it is probably the right way and that's not something i have actually tried i think i've put one-off illustrations and kind of explained the the process behind them and those maybe don't work as well on behance yeah and i think not only like, of course, like as they work on Behance, but at least for me, like, uh, or for us, I think like mentally, it it helps us to know where we are, to not to feel that we are, when we are doing personal stuff, because we don't have limitations, it allows us to know, oh, we are now doing this series. So we are exploring a subject and we are going to get as far as we can on that subject. And then when we are done with it, we, we move to the next thing. That's great. Yeah, that's like a creative yeah. brief, like yeah. Uh, yeah. Because like a structure. Sounds, yeah, yeah, it's like yourself putting a, a project on yourself, like if you were your own client. Yeah. And does one of you in particular come up with them, or do you kind of alternate, or do you talk about it together? Because you said you you do everything together. <laughs> they, I think they come after a few illustrations. No. Yeah, it depends. Really, I think sometimes mm. uh, sometimes one of us will have an idea that said, "Oh, I." I Thinking it, I was thinking it would be really fun to explore this theme uh, and or like we did with the sports or like we did with the first project, the Everyday Women. But then mm-hmm. sometimes we'll be making illustrations at random, as I kind of advise not to do. And 
Well, no, see, I mean, I think everyone does that when you're creative. You kind of produce yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just for fun. Um, maybe if I made a sketch in 2D, if I was like, oh, why did we put it into 3D? And then we had a cool illustration. Uh, but then sometimes we'd realize that we had three or four illustrations that looked kind of like they could fall under the same category. So we said, okay, why don't we make another one? And we'll call it all. One of them we called Music and Movement. Because we happened to do for uh, one project in Germany, we made this illustration of a one woman band for a project with motionographer, we made an illustration of a dancer. And then for fun, we made another dancer. And we thought, okay, well, these are all kind of music and dance. So let's make one more. That sounds like a proper series. And we put them all together on B-Hugs. Interesting. Yeah. And it looked, and that was, we've got so many jobs off. That was really the last personal project we did. And we have kept getting clients using references from that without really knowing that it was just a few illustrations we did for fun by ourselves. That's really interesting. <laughs> mm. So the way that you present the work really, really, uh, you're saying really impacts the way that you are able to get clients. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think it's like the way you present your work, the way you talk uh, since being at Cabeza Patata, like for me, that's the main difference from being a freelancer to what we do now is like now I feel that all the time everything is 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 part of our brand. As a freelancer, mm -hmm. I would sell my ability to do work, but I do, I never felt that the way I was communicating was was that relevant. Obviously, I wanted to write good emails and I wanted to be polite and nice to people, but now. But having have, a brand is different, yeah. It's completely different. Like, the way we present our work, we take very seriously, like, you know, having everything. Everything needs to be need. We will feel very guilty if we suddenly uh, discover that we had something misspelled on our website. or mm -hmm. Because we, we, we care a lot about how it looks and how, you know, and how we communicate. And I think, I think that's, that's, you know, like, making good projects is a part of that. And as well, I mean, again, on the technical side, our Behance is connected to our website. So that means that we don't need to be worried about, like we mm -hmm. use Adobe portfolio and that means like we don't need to be worried about having to update our website every time we put a project on Behance mm -hmm. that appears on our website. And it's a thing as well I recommend, like I know that many people care a lot about like designing a website that is really special and has like very, very, very specific features, but um, I think sometimes, especially if you don't have much time or you are running on your own or you are running as, as a duo, I think to spend too much time doing that, it might, you know, affect your ability to produce work. So mm -hmm. for us, it's been working. And I don't think we never have a client that have said, oh, you're using a template. <laughs> it's completely fine. People oh, are I, I like your website. I think it oh, looks great you. for what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it shows our work. And for me, like the cool thing is like when you click on the projects, you get a lot of information about them. So. Uh-huh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's something I actually noted. And I want to get back to that. But before that, I just want to keep talking about promotion because I know a lot of people care about that. And you guys have a lot of interesting advice about that. But so do you get most of your clients from Behance then? I guess is my next question. I think so it's not completely clear often where clients come from, um, mm -hmm. but definitely yeah. every time that we've got a Behance badge, we've got a lot of emails. So I think mm. that, and from big companies as well, I think that a lot of people are looking through 
the pages, first page is a bee hunt, looking for something okay. interesting, whether it's specifically for a project or not, because we've been contacted often by clients kind of just saying, hey, how do you work? Should we have a chat? And then a month or so later, we've got a project from them. Yeah, that's usually how it happens, I feel, with uh, is because we, we work directly with like clients like uh, with uh, Google or Apple and and we mm-hmm. are having right now, we're doing another job for a, a very big client. And, and it's been always like that. It's been like they contact us first, uh, but they came to us because obviously there's no way of contacting Google. There's so many people in that company that who, who mm-hmm. would you write mm-hmm. to? So it's like it wasn't a specific person from Google wrote to us. We went for a meeting in London and then it took a month or two to get a project. But after that, actually, that, that woman showed us work, our work in the office and we ended up being contacted by Google in San Francisco mm-hmm. asking for more stuff. It, it, I think that project never happened, but like it's it's just like once you are inside, like I think then you get a lot of like internal recommendations and things like that. But mm-hmm. it's very abstract. I mean, it's, it's difficult to explain how we get the clients because I have no idea. Like sometimes it's, I, I don't know if it's polite to ask them. I would love, sometimes I would love to ask them like, where do you find that? Actually, us? we we did ask the um the woman we work with at Google, and she said Interesting. one night she was uh going through one of these Instagram holes. You know, when one thing leads you to another to another, and she just stumbled across our page. And actually, we saw that she made a post about it. Annabelle said, "Oh, this person made a post, and she's a creative director at Google." Yeah. And we were like, "Okay, okay yeah. maybe an email will come." And a couple of days later, we got an email. Yeah, yeah so, because sort of intuitively, I picture people maybe browsing browsing Instagram more than they browse uh, Behance because Behance is more of a professional platform. Um, yeah, I guess it depends what they're looking for. I think she was just browsing Instagram just like you do in the evening. Whereas I guess some people are looking at mm-hmm. Behance because they're looking for specific talent for the company yeah. in general. So yeah, I think both are both are good. Yeah, and I don't think it's rude to ask where where you were found. Um, I usually do it in the first meeting. Like I'm saying, I, I say something like, "I'm curious, how did you find me?" Like, yeah, I don't we think that's do that rude. More. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's it's not like sometimes it's not like it's rude, but like sometimes. I don't know. I don't think about it. And then after a few, you know, meetings or something, it's, it feels a bit too It feels late. weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But it's definitely interesting. Uh, and and I think that there are so many different routes and ways that people can find you. Like we have, I mean, we have Google Analytics data, of like the visits to our website, and we get a lot of visits. And I don't really, like when I see where they come from, most of them come from Google search. So it's people searching Cabeza Patata. So mm-hmm. for sure they, they saw us somewhere and then they look for our name and they go to our website. Mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, the, the more time uh, and the, the more time we are running as a studio, like the more different reasons can, can be like, because I mean, right now we are recording a podcast. So maybe in a few months, you know, mm-hmm. people that listen to the podcast, they, they look for us. But also we've been starting... Since like two, three months ago, we started doing a lot of talks talking about the experience of starting the studio in a year. And yeah, you and guys think, were at uh, Adobe Off, right? Yeah, 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 we were there. And we are tomorrow morning, we are at another festival here in Barcelona. And That's on, great. Sunday, on Sunday, we are flying to Berlin because we're going to be at Pictoplasma. Which is a oh, that's amazing. Of of design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those things as well. I mean, the, the festivals also like they've been promoting us 
since they announced that we are part of the festival. So yeah, and a lot of people I think just look at the lineup of the festival in order to see what's the new talent for the year. So that's definitely is a. And do those festivals, do they usually reach out to you or do you reach out to people? We, we reach out to us, ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, not thinking. I remember Katie saying, like, she said, oh, it's too early to reach out to them. Like, I let's was like, maybe it. in a year. <laughs> yeah, she said, maybe in a year. And I said, oh, let's send them an email. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and it took a long time until they were like, I completely had forgotten about yeah. it. And I think with Pictoplasma, it was different because we met someone that had spoken at Pictoplasma. Uh, and and she said that that, that we would be perfect us. for it, and she recommended us. That's so, great. And then and then this this uh, festival we're talking to at Bar- we're talking at at Barcelona came basically through networking. Like uh, we 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 had a friend that was organizing some some creative talks, and we one day she was worried about not having enough people going to the creative talk, and she asked us, "Oh, please go there." And it was this studio called Domestic Data Streamers that is a studio from Barcelona that they do like a really nice uh, things, but to do with data. It's like uh, visualization. Yeah, visualization. Data. So we ne- we didn't think it was going to be interesting, but we went there because to help our friend, but we ended up meeting them and, and they're a very big studio in Barcelona. And they've been recommending us to different, you know, like because they really liked our work, they invited us to go to their office and talk about what we do. And then they recommended us to like time out in Barcelona. Oh no, that's great. Out, yeah. To different people like. Yeah. And the creative net. Yeah. The yeah. creative net. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. So it's sort of it. However, however things come really, sometimes you reach out and sometimes people might recommend, but it all just comes from doing things. I think meeting people and pushing to do stuff and go to events. But definitely what we don't do is like, we don't treat uh, meeting people or networking as uh, for me at least personally like if you do it too much like every meeting with someone you treat it as a business opportunity mm-hmm. it becomes too obvious and it's stressful so i, I yeah really, I, I agree yeah when i'm in festivals like when we were at off i enjoy when we meet people and i feel like we are getting a personal mm-hmm. relationship and conversation talking about the creative side of things but sometimes if it's too stressful, like talking about business, I, I just freak out because I don't really, sometimes people can be too direct about it or maybe they say, oh, I have a project. And and mm-hmm. when I'm in the setup in which I'm supposed to be enjoying and meeting mm-hmm. people talking about creativity, like I, I don't know what to answer. <laughs> yeah, It's a fine line, I think. And mm-hmm. actually, without stereotyping, I, I find that Americans are much more like that. They want to get straight into the networking for business and not necessarily for personal connection. Uh, and I think as Europeans, at least I feel that I'm I'm uncomfortable with that sometimes. Mm. This idea that people are, that you can use people basically is yeah. almost tools. It, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to think of people that way and I don't want people thinking of me that way. Um, De- definitely, yeah. And I, I think that the people that, that want to get to you in that business sense, probably you don't really want to work with anyway. And the people that mm-hmm. want to have the human connection you want to work with. So I think we're all on the right track. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to get more into your into your process and really like the meat of what you create. And I just want to give a, a very short introduction to two of the projects that you've done for people who might not know your style or your work. And the two, the two that I picked were, uh, so the first one is um, 
the Apple App Store project that you did for Chinese New Year. Um, and those were illustrations that showed the modern and ancient traditions of the Chinese New Year. And they were for the Apple App Store, like I said. And you've got a big illustration that kind of looks like a movie set almost to me. I don't know if you would describe it like that. And then you've got some smaller spot illustrations of different characters doing specific things like eating at a table as a family. And then another project that you did recently that's also really awesome is the New York Times Smarter Living section. And that I think that's how I was introduced to your work. And when I noticed that, I was like, I've never seen editorial illustration like that. Mm -hmm. I've never seen that before. Um, and I was really excited. And for that project, you did several illustrations of different couples dressed up in different styles. And I love that project again because the characters are posing in front of these simple structures like uh, wall ledges or buildings, but the backgrounds are very pared back. It almost looks like maybe they're in a set or they're getting their picture taken in a photograph in a, in a photographer's studio. And the lighting is also really interesting, but I just, what's your process for doing, for doing these projects from start to finish? How, how do you start and how do you get to the end result that, you see because it's, it's quite intimidating to look at i i think oh my god i don't i have no idea how they do this i have a brief idea of how you know 3d works i know people use cinema 4d but beyond that i'm out of my death i think uh well actually we have a really clear process for every project okay. and and now that we've been working on these characters for quite a long time I think at the beginning of the project, we can always see already how it's going to look at the end. Uh, so we begin always doing a really simple sketch. And normally we share the whole process on our Behance page as well. Uh, mm -hmm. We really like to show how it, it uh, how the evolution happens. But normally we start with the simplest sketch uh, for a client. And so it will be in the case of the Apple project, it was completely stick figures because it was such a complex scene. We didn't want to start giving any volume to the characters. It was more like finding mm -hmm. the composition. We, I think we gave two or three alternatives for that project. So we, the client came, they, they liked the idea. They saw this an, an illustration, a Chinese illustration uh, of like that had that, that, that sense you talk about like a movie set. It was like mm -hmm. cards seen from the top, a little bit like when you play Sims or, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. one of these video games. And the illustration had that sense that we had never done because usually we put the camera much lower and closer to the characters. But they gave us that 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 illustration as a reference. And I so they give you this kind of angle, this camera angle. Yeah, basically. they gave us that camera angle. But I personally don't think that what they referred to was the camera angle. They refer When they gave us that illustration, they were talking more about different people doing different things in Chinese New Year. Mm -hmm. But when they gave us that reference, we thought, wow, why, why, why don't we try to put the camera like that? It's, uh, it's going to allow us to have a lot of people doing a lot of different things. Yeah, it's quite unusual, but I, I like the result a lot. Yeah, and then we we made a, the, the, a, a couple of versions of it. One was a pagoda, is it called a pagoda, that mm -hmm. had many different levels, and in each level, people were doing different things. Which was oh, that's really cool. beautiful. Uh, I like the yeah. concept, yeah. Yeah, it was really nice. But the, the thing about this project was that it needed to work in 
different formats for each of in the, the app store app too devices. like on your iphone or something yeah. Yeah. yeah so it really needed to be landscape in order to work on the biggest ipad uh mm-hmm. so that's why we went with this one um and so we will the client in this case or usually they'll ask us what kind of timeline we want to have so we'll usually week by week we'll deliver something new so we'll deliver first this sketch and then we'll start to model the characters based on exactly the positions that we have in the sketch as you were so can i i I don't want to interrupt you but how do you sketch usually do you sketch on paper or do you use procreate Uh, on an ipad yeah procreate on the ipad always actually uh I don't, we can't, we don't really use paper ever, unfortunately. Which yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, but the iPad is just so practical, especially no, for doing I, a complex yeah. sketch like that. You can just move things around really quickly, and yeah, and it allows us. So, so the thing is, we, we usually we use a technique we we like so much to be um, to to keep this sense of the sketch in a three D illustration. That okay. we use we use this technique in which we go to the three D program, we put the camera where we think. Uh, it's going to be the position. And then we uh, it, we do this technique in which we, you, you put like a piece of paper virtually, obviously, in front of this 3D camera and you make the piece of paper semi-transparent. So mm-hmm. it would be very similar if you are want to you do a drawing of a photo and then you get a semi-transparent piece of paper, you put it in front of the camera and then you, you put the people depending on how they appear on the 2D image. So we try to imitate with the 2D, with the 3D, we try to imitate this 2D image and I think that's one of the reasons why our illustration is being becoming better and better. Because if you start with the 3D, one of the problems mm-hmm. you get is like you get too technical and then you forget about composition and a lot of yeah. important elements that mm-hmm. come on a previous stage. Yeah. So this technique you're describing, I think I saw it in a video, maybe the motion motionographer video. Is that Oh, yeah, I'm sure you did. In that. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about, where you like put the image kind of like I was wowed by this because I'd never seen it before. Uh, <laughs> but it made sense intuitively to me that you're like building volume out of like these strands. Basically, yeah, we use we use in this in that case, I think I we didn't do it transparent, but like yeah, okay. we did exactly okay. that thing is like using the 2D as a way of like making sure that we have that. And sometimes we get crazy results because sometimes, obviously, when you do 3D, we are not, when you do a 2D illustration, you are not using real perspective. So sometimes we need to make the 3D crazy in order, like really crazy proportions in order to make an image to make sense in 3D. Uh, Okay. And we made a project recently for Austria, for like a client in Austria, in which we had a, a theme park and we had a roller coaster. And in the 2D illustration, it made sense. But when we arrived to 3D, the roller coaster had to be super long in order to make sense. Yeah, like, to get the proportions yeah, it was that we sense. wanted yeah. originally. So you get this effect in 3D where it doesn't, it looks really graphical in a way because things in real life, it would actually never be like that. You can see when you zoom out from a different camera angle and you think, it's oh, wow, broken. that roller coaster is the size of a football pitch going backwards. Uh-huh. Uh, and and I think that that makes a really cool result. Yeah, yeah. I can see that there would be very unique challenges to doing stuff like what you do. Um, do you do you like the three D process more than you like the two D process? I think I think uh, probably the three D process sometimes can get can get a bit tedious. Like can be a bit boring, especially if you are doing. If sometimes when we know what we want 
it takes a long time to get there and that's annoying. But it, to continue like explaining how the process was in this video, so like, and why it's so tedious is because after we put the 2D illustration and we do the modeling, we, we model the characters completely naked. And once we have them uh -huh. naked in Cinema 4D, we go to another pro program. It's called Marvelous Designer. It's a program that you do um, fashion, like uh, clothes, in the, but, but in a virtual world. But it look it's it works very similarly. Like uh, how would you you would you would make them in real life? So you have to cut the different patterns and then you sew them together in this three D environment. And it's it's a it's a very time consuming process. It's really like trial and error. The program breaks quite a lot. It's, it's a program that mm. is not really well done. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it works very well, but uh, and, and like I would love to meet the people that are making that amazing program, but for sure it's not a very big team because there are so many little moments in which the program breaks or has mm. problems. or And it's not really made for this either. It was originally made more for uh, fashion design. And now we're using it to make clothes with crazy proportions to fit different type of characters. Mm -hmm. Or we're using it because we want to make a realistic tablecloth or blanket or something. Yeah. So once we have that, we bring it back to the 3D program. And then that's when we put the clothes back on the characters and we start the, what is the rendering process. Mm -hmm. So that means putting the lights. And, and you're completely right. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned the... the the idea of um, having the, 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 it feels a bit like a photography from a studio because mm -hmm. we usually use the same lighting setup, which is like what you call uh, in 3D, what you call the, the a lighting setup. Usually you, you have HDRI, it means like high dynamic range image. And it's an image that is like, you can imagine it as a biggest sphere that surrounds the entire image that mm -hmm. is taken from a photo. And that's what is making the illumination. So you can put real lights in 3D, but when you use these spheres of that are photographies, they they allow you to get very nice reflections. And the mm. HDRIs we use are usually from photography studios. So that means that we are getting the lighting set up from real photography studios. And we really we started doing that in the fashion um, mm. in the fashion project. And we really liked it, it was because we wanted to make a fashion shoot. But I think we really like this mainly because it makes people to get confused because some people don't know if we actually made the toys, like made some toys yeah. in real life uh -huh. and we took photos of them. Or yeah, at really... first that's what I thought, um, yeah. actually looking at it. And my wife was like, she was saying, oh my God, they make claymation. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's really, it's so uh, convincing in a way. Yeah, it's so cool to hear that. Actually, I love it because so many people think that they're in real life and it's always such a shame to, to say that they're not because we, we love crafts and making things as well and we'd love to make them in real life. And often we've tried to convince clients that it would be great if we could make a claymation video, mm -hmm. but they always just want to do it in 3D. But we are making right now, uh, I mean, right now we are in, a, in our in our home studio and we we have next to us like a, this 3D figure that we've been uh, printing and we are with a 3d it. printer or yeah we've been using a 3d printer but also we've been mixing a lot of techniques because we wanted it to be very tactile so the clothes of the mm -hmm. of the figure are real and certain mm -hmm. parts are metal like we are mixing a lot of techniques 
And this figure, we are taking it on Sunday to Berlin because we're going to have an exhibition there. So we're going to... That's really cool. If I was going to say, you guys should make you guys should make toys. We would love to, yeah. I think this has been a bit of a labor of love, though. <laughs> it's taken a long time to make it, so I think it would be making sort of more like one-off art pieces. Uh, but it's definitely something that we'd we'd like to look into. Yeah, the problem with mass-producing any type of toy, you could mass-produce 3D prints, but you wouldn't be able to have the, the clothes, being handmade clothes, and mm -hmm. so many of those... I guess you could things. do a limited edition where you would do exactly, like yeah. 10 or something. Yeah, we think that could be super fun. Mm. We're working on a on a big project right now and, and we want to convince the client at the end of the project to maybe like uh, turn <laughs> some of the cards we have created into figures they could put in their office. Uh, that would be very fun. <laughs> yeah, That's cool, yeah. I So I want to talk more about the characters and the fact that they, I think there are two things that are really clear from looking at your work. It's one that they have very odd body proportions which actually makes them seem you know, in a way weird but also realistic almost because people don't have all people don't have the same proportions in real life um and i think the second thing that's really clear about your work is that a lot of your characters are women and people of color um and i think there's a real message to that but i want to hear what you what you think about that and how you came up with you know your message how you make it so clear what you're intending to do with your illustrations well i think right from the beginning we always wanted to to have a bit more of a message with the work we've talked about it that quite often you might think that if you're doing illustration you're not really having a big impact on the world you know you're not mm -hmm. a doctor or a teacher but actually i think you can really have a make a big impact and have just by having a message in your work and definitely this something that we've always felt strongly about and always talk about and so really right from the beginning initially we only made uh women characters and then it was funny mm. like the first time that we made a man like i don't know a few weeks into the process it was actually because we made a bell to make the the logo and the some people that we were with we were having a drink and they said oh finally you've made a man character and we thought it was so funny because we thought if it was the other way around no one would ever pick up on that no one would say finally you made a woman so for me when we get a lot of reactions like that it's it shows how important it is to keep pushing and how important it is to make mm -hmm. sure that you're trying to represent all sorts of different people in your campaigns especially if you know that it, they're going to be seen by so many different people mm -hmm. yeah and as well i think i mean for me i i always but I I I I cared about like diversity. I always I always cared about it. But it was with Katie that I learned that it's not only about caring. I always considered myself a feminist. But it's not only like it's it's fine to put yourself like to to to, to think of yourself as a feminist. But like mm -hmm. you need to you need to actively be looking for moments in which you are putting stereotypes and 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 like and you need to fight actively to those because. I feel like we are immersed in we are inside a society that has is full like absolutely full of uh, stereotypes and, and preconceptions about gender, yeah. mm -hmm. and if you don't fight against them actively, you are basically going with them. So the more we started creating illustrations like this, the more I realized not only that 
I was myself finding like that I could put wo- like women in every situation in every illustration. But mm-hmm. also I started noticing people's reactions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people don't get angry at you, but people get give you comments. People say, "Oh, it's weird that you made that," or, or uh, you know, they are not used to see certain images. And I think yeah. producing those images. We have a very good example of it. Like we, when we do our talks, um, we we show a Google search for a baseball outfit. And when you Google search for a baseball outfit and you go to Google mm-hmm. Images, in our talk we put the the screen capture of the entire Google Images search, and fifty percent are women and fifty percent are men in that result. But the women are all dressed in like this uh, sexy baseball. <laughs> like you know like halloween costumes mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the men are all dressed in cost- like outfits to do the sport and yeah a normal outfit yeah a normal yeah. baseball outfit and and it's it's extreme like it's extreme when you see it like that and you pinpoint it like you realize how like even on google search the images the results you're getting are are, are making a massive difference yeah and that's just one example every single search that we do because we always like to find photo references uh, before we start a project, every single search is so highly gendered, and it's it's really upsetting sometimes, and it really makes you feel strongly about how much you have to fight gender stereotypes, and how the way that we want to do it as well isn't through. I we don't want to like complain about things or or mm-hmm. put people off in any way. We want it to be just like this character, this sports player, or this strong fashion model is a woman and mm-hmm. that's just how it is it's not I don't know we don't want it to, to necessarily be the focus of the image but I just think that because of the way that society is it is the focus I think hopefully if you come back to us in in 10 or 20 years people won't even be saying it anymore but the, mm-hmm. the way that it Hopefully, is now. you're very positive about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm very, I, I'm positive though. I think that things are definitely changing, but I think that that hopefully one day if a char- if a studio makes majority female characters, it won't even be a point of conversation because re- it isn't a point of conversation if a studio makes majority male characters. We, we have an, another example of this, and, and, and it's not like, it's, it's interesting, it's happening in the project, right? Like we're, make, we're working on right now, but it's, it's not mm-hmm. like, I'm not telling, I don't think, Katie, I don't think I'm telling any secrets about the project. But basically, <laughs> we are working, we need to create these, uh, like, uh, the, the characters that represent everyone. So they, they are uh-huh. gender they're gender neutral. And the idea Okay, the yeah, that's something I was going to mention, because I find that a lot of your characters I can identify with being yeah. not a very feminine yeah. woman myself. Mm-hmm. It, it's very hard to find that in illustration. I think a it's, lot of people maybe not consciously, but resort to these stereotypes when they're mm-hmm. drawing women or men. Uh, definitely yeah yeah. and also that's a really a conscious decision on our part as well but you'd be amazed how many people want to know the gender (laughs) yeah yeah i can see that oh are there where are the women in the illustration or where are the men because it obviously depends on how you perceive a character because yeah it's it's perception and and what i what i like what i was saying with this is like in this project that we have to make gender neutral characters like many of our characters are one of the characters had to be angry like we had to represent a very angry character and okay. everyone in the team, like from the client side and even ourselves, we found ourselves that when we were making the character very angry, it was looking masculine automatically. Mm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's, 
it's so interesting how we put those stereotypes and 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 you realize when you see that like uh, almost like we don't allow women to be angry it just automatically we associate it with men and and it's amazing because even you Katie and me we were saying the same like we were saying like oh it's mo- it's more difficult to uh, to understand these characters as gender neutral after putting the cart in that position so i think to actively see those things is like uh, it's almost like you know, like all these gender stereotypes is, is somehow like, it's like a, some sunglasses that you take off and suddenly you see things clear. And now I go everywhere and I'm seeing all these stereotypes and 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 you always get opportunities to fight them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we are doing it perfectly at all, but at least we are conscious of that. And I think that's a good thing. Mm, yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I, personally, for example, I don't draw characters that have very clear genders usually. They don't even have faces. Usually they have like a, a face that has no eyes or no mouth. And I I think I did that in the beginning because I didn't want the characters to have such a clear gender. And a lot of the gender can be read from the a face a lot of the time. I think the gender stereotypes that we assign to people come from the face as well. Uh, so I can definitely see how that would play a part. Like when you try to make a character that's angry, it would look more masculine. With, with uh, characters, uh, the, Katie was amazed when you were reading the... Uh, there's a very famous book about animation uh, called The Ani- Animator Survival Toolkit. Okay. And Do you recommend book, it? It's a really good book for animation. Yeah, but it's... Um, yeah, you've got to be ready for some real gender stereotypes when you read that. Yeah, because book. you realize okay. how, you know, like, the, the book talks about how a woman to- uh, walks and how yeah, a yeah, man yeah. does... And and when you see all Disney films or when you see like traditional animation, mm. that's the way they build characters. They can make yeah. even even if you are watching like a really old film, even if they are animating a little, I don't know, if even there's like a pencil or a or a candle, you know, like a how do you call yeah. that film where they have yeah. the candles that are like they 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 make them male or female. Beauty and the Beast, yeah. Beauty yeah. and the Beast, yeah. They make them male or female depending on how they move. But uh-huh. those things really like get into your brain. And, yeah, and 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 it's it's when you were reading the book, you were finding it. Sometimes I remember Katie coming to me and being like, "My God, this is ridiculous." It was like, a bit horrible, yeah, because all yeah. of the examples, all of the cool walk cycles that you wanted to try were all men, and all of the like sexy walk cycles, yeah, you know, like excessive been. rolling of the hips, kind of, yeah, yeah, totally. Or even they had one example where they were like, "Oh, this." I saw this man walking and I thought, that man must be gay. How did I know oh that? Because God. of his walk. That's, yeah, it's, yeah, really, it's written by a very old guy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's written maybe in the 70s, I think. Maybe he probably yeah. didn't even think about it. He was, yeah. No, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure he didn't think about it at all. But yeah, I think uh, times have changed, but the, the book hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> times have changed, but I think that it, there are still some very strong uh, stereotypes about femininity and masculinity. Oh, without doubt, yeah. And I think those are still very strong, even today. Yeah, um, I think they're massive. And, and, and I myself, like, you know, I think we all have, like, you know, everyone has been affected by those, by, like, stereotypes about masculinity and femininity. And I think even challenging them, you know, like, in our illustration it allows ourselves to also challenge them in our normal lives. I think it's good to, you know, when you realize that they are like that, you realize that maybe certain behaviors I, I was having myself or ways of expressing myself 
were coming from like me trying to, you know, like accommodate myself into those gender stereotypes. And I, I, I feel, mm-hmm. you know, as time continues, like I, I feel more comfortable uh, being myself, not having to be a man or a woman, like just being myself. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good in the illustration to have the same. And also to know that to that not to make those stereotypes doesn't mean that you cannot make really fun, exaggerated characters. Doesn't mean that your cards need to right. be boring. Our yeah, characters yeah, yeah, yeah. can be super extreme, can make like everything they want. They can have like crazy body proportions and they can be in the most fun situation. And they can have visible uh, breasts, for example, yeah. or mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I think we're we're getting close to the end and I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, I want to ask you a sort of a final question and then maybe we could do a few quick fire questions to because those, those are kind of fun and I, I find myself enjoying those quite a lot. But the final question I have that's a bigger question is, do you have specific advice that you would give illustrators or any creative that's starting out today with no clients, no connections and, you know, very little work? Oh, I think my oh it's difficult but i think that my main piece of advice would probably be um just keep trying to produce as much work as you can because Mm -hmm. i think sometimes when you're beginning you might be trying to find your style but getting a little bit caught up on doing one illustration and you think oh this isn't quite what i wanted to get i don't know maybe if i make the arms a bit smaller or if I make the hips a bit wider or this color. And sometimes I think it's better you just, you stop doing that one. Maybe you can publish it on Instagram. Maybe stop being so self-critical and perfectionist about it. Exactly, just get rid of it. Think, okay, the next one will be better. Because even without realizing, I think I've definitely found that everyone that I've talked to has found that without knowing every time that you do an illustration, it's a bit better. So if you manage to do Mm -hmm. an illustration every day or one every two or three days, uh, as long as you're, when you finish it, you just move on to the next one. I think that's the best way to improve for me. Yeah, yeah and also, I you agree. You can always delete things off your Instagram after if you don't like yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, like for me, like the advice is like that it, it gets better. As long as your taste is decent and you, if you like certain work like people produce, like it gets better with time. The technical difficulties are not that big and also are getting smaller. Like, you know, things are getting technically easier and easier at times goes. Mm-hmm. Like, like even like only like eight years ago when I started working in the industry, everything was much slower and you needed to know much more about the computer. And now like the programs are getting faster. There are libraries of materials. There are so many like ways you can learn as well. There's a lot of information on the internet. So don't get like scared by the technological part. It's the small part. Just enjoy and continue working because it will get better. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's really good advice. Um, do you? I guess kind of selfishly, do you have uh, materials that you recommend for people who want to get started with Cinema 4D or 3D illustration? Yeah, I recommend there's a, a website called Polygon with two eyes. 
Okay. Uh, it's a it's a materials like library. I think materials more like uh, teaching. Ah, materials. Ah, you meant like materials. <laughs> ah, sorry. Oh, okay, yes. okay. No, no, but ah. that's still a resource, I think. But, ah, sorry. Yeah. I, I, I thought you meant like materials for like 3D, but like... Uh, no, no, know, no, 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 no. But yeah, but that's library. interesting too. I think that's still a good resource to have oh, in for, the beginning. For, for, for 3D, like in terms of like uh, to learn with tutorials, uh, for me, like it's very common website. It's very famous. Like it's called uh, um, Grayscale Gorilla. It's an amazing okay. website. Mm -hmm. like he's, he's really good. Uh, the the guy running it is really good because he's he's fun when you listen to him and I think that's a very big thing because sometimes you're gonna have to spend so many hours listening to someone in front of the computer while they're pressing different buttons yeah. and clicking different menus and at least if the person is fun you're having a good time with them and I think that's a really good thing and there's another guy called I Design um, mm -hmm. he's not called I Design he's called E J E J uh, I, his surname is too difficult to pronounce to me, but uh, he his website is called I Design, and he also like makes very good three D tutorials, but also like tutorials that are more based on like a you know like something like what we do, more like connected to the two D and the illustration types of mm -hmm. things, not mm -hmm. not so much to do with like. Uh, high-tech, like, um, kind of movie-style 3D. Yeah, because that's what I see mostly out there, mm. I guess, is is the high-tech kind of movie-style 3D. Yeah. But I'm sure that, that that's changing. I think we're definitely seeing, even in short time, so many more 3D characters appearing all the time. And I'm sure that online courses will start reflecting that a lot more yeah. as well. And I Have think you thought about making making a course yourself since you're really at the forefront of using... Um, we programs have like that courses actually yeah. Uh, you have but, yeah but they're in spanish, <laughs> yeah, they're in so spanish. Oh. if anyone listening speaks spanish we made courses with uh, a company called creana in mm -hmm. peru and mm -hmm. we have a course about 2d animation and another about 3d illustration where we talk both about 3d modeling and the process of uh, making the clothing as well so it's they're both like completely beginners start to finish uh, Are you thinking about making an English course ever? We we th we could do it. Like I think actually when we signed with Creana, uh, that we, we actually went to Peru to do the course. That was last summer, and mm -hmm. I think we gave an exclusivity of like probably two, two years. years. So uh, which which for us it was completely fine because our mm -hmm. objective has mm -hmm. never been to to teach. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, yeah. but we are completely open to do it. So probably like next summer like in a year when we stop working with them probably we could we could do something in english it's very fun we really want people to to learn how to make artists uh, as well i mean when we were talking about like the images that are being produced there is so much especially in the 3d world of like we always like like laugh at like these renders that people make that they they take like these um library models of like naked women and they put mm. them in these environments with shiny spheres and i think the world has enough of that i think we need to <laughs> you know produce i think i know what you mean images. yeah yeah i think it's it's just like people need to realize and that's what i mean with like producing things that are full of stereotypes and i think those images like yeah but i think that, that we definitely want to encourage more different people to, to enter the industry and particularly women I mean I don't think many women are going to download a naked woman and put her in a field of smoke so yeah. mm -hmm. the more women in the industry the less <laughs> of that 
type of image we're going to get. So that's definitely what we're pushing. And we are actually in, it's not going to be an online course, but we are actually going to go and teach this summer. Yeah, we're going to teach uh, uh, some teenagers, like 15 to 17 years old. Yeah, we're going to Armenia to a design technology center there. That's great. To, to run a workshop for two weeks. Yeah. So, but yeah, we, we'd love to. And you're going to teach stuff. them uh, 3D or? Yeah, we are actually going to make an, a special project with them. We're going to uh, ask them to like teach them how to make uh, robots. Uh, and then they are going to produce a robot each. And then they're going to have to make uh, fashion, like uh, clothes for the robots. That's and amazing. At, at the end of the two weeks, our, our goal is to put all the robots together with all the uh, clothes and make a little fashion show. Because mm -hmm. so. we thought, well, the idea behind robots as well is that characters are quite difficult to make. They always look like they're easier than they are. So we thought mm -hmm. if we have two weeks, we aren't going to be able to teach a group of teenagers how to make characters. So why don't we just make the simplest possible character, which is a robot, maybe. That's a great compromise, yeah. Shapes. Yeah, it can be a cylinder, it can be a sphere. You can, with a few elements, you can make a really fun robot. So, and then we think it's so much fun to make clothes for a robot because it doesn't make sense. And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think it's like, it's just the idea of like, maybe it's winter and the robots need like, you know, a coat or something. <laughs> it's just, That's great. You know, I, I would have loved that as a teen, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to move on to the quick fire questions because I really don't want to keep you guys too long. Um, so the first one is, what's your favorite application or software? And you guys can answer individually or together. It doesn't really matter, whatever you want. Should we do individually? Do individually, yeah. Okay. Okay. My, my favorite is Procreate. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. Mine is Marvelous Designer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you, Katie. Uh, <laughs> I love Procreate. Um, do, do you have, I guess this one is a little bit different, but do you have specific tools or applications that you use to help you run your business, the business side of thing? Yeah, we run, we, with the business side of things, we run everything on Dropbox. So one of the things is that mm -hmm. when we started, when we decided that we we're going to be a studio, I remember telling Katie, if we do it, we're going to like organize this as we as if we were the biggest studio ever like i have experience mm -hmm. from like i worked in london in very big production houses and i always loved how everything was in a folder all the time yeah and everything was like every folder had a number and every project had a code so from the very yeah i do that too i love it i yeah. love doing that from the very beginning everything is on the cloud and everything has a, like a code name and every project, even projects that never happen, are still there, like with a code mm. in case one day we want to go uh -huh. to them. And we organize, everything is organized. So for us, like, I think Dropbox is being... Yeah. And also, I think it, it makes you look very professional. If a client's asking for a set of deliveries, you can send them a link to the Dropbox folder. And within that folder, you have more folders. And we've had clients comment on how organized it is. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it helps you look professional, definitely. Mm -hmm. Do you have any, uh, like, accounting software that you use? Uh, yeah. We yeah, we have an, uh, we, our, our accountants are online accountants. So we use, uh, we, we use them, like, we use the software they provide. And, and they are accounting, like, our company is still based in the UK. And, and they, they are, they provide um, a, a software that's, it's called Crunch, the company, and they provide the software that comes with the accounting solution. Okay. So everything is 
it's like it's in their platform. But I think there are many different, um, you know, like companies that do that. I know that people yeah. use sometimes like more like fresh books. So this, yeah, as you, yeah. as you can, this is like something like of mixing your accountant and fresh books at the same time. So mm-hmm. you are having the software. And at the same time, your accountant is checking on it. And it's probably a good a good solution, actually. Yeah, it's a bit more expensive, but it means like at the first time I filled my taxes in my life, I did it wrong, and then I got a fine, and then mm-hmm. I had to write to the tax office and say sorry, and they ended up giving my money back because I think I sounded so desperate in my letter, being like, "I'm so sorry, it was the first time I was doing it," <laughs> and I remember like Katie advised me to do it like with a handwritten <laughs> because my handwriting as well is is quite like childish, and I think when they saw it, they felt like, "Oh, okay, it's, it's fine." <laughs> That's funny. Um, coffee or tea? Tea and coffee. Okay, what? two two different. <laughs> Uh, uh, but tea and coffee, to be fair, I just really love caffeine and <laughs> drinking all the time tea is as well something I love. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, do you have uh, fa- your favorite podcasts that you listen to? Do you listen to podcasts, first of all? But- yeah. yeah. I Well, every day I listen to Women's Hour, uh, which is from the BBC. Uh-huh. And I think for me it would be 99% Invisible. Uh huh. I love that one. Yeah. Uh, I really like. I really like how like, like well edited everything is, and how they tell stories that are like you know so unique. So succinct. And, yeah. So nice. Mm-hmm. Roman Mars is yeah. He's really good yeah. at that. Mm. Um, favorite books. Mm. Oh, that's difficult. Uh, we yeah. just finished reading. Uh, we have a book club, and we've just finished reading a book called. Pachinko. You two alone, or or, or <laughs> yeah. there's a group. <laughs> no, there's a group. group. Yeah. Okay, okay, us. yeah. It's yeah, just we you. actually yeah. try not to talk about the book together. We try to save all the points of the book club yeah. normally. Uh, but we just finished reading um, Pachinko, which was I think last year or the year before was on the bestsellers list all summer, uh, and that was really fantastic. We really mm. enjoyed that. And I, I would say, I mean, favorite, but like the other day, I don't know why I was thinking again about Solaris. It's a, a book I read when I was like 20. I was in mm-hmm. university by Stanislaw Lem, I think is the, the author. And mm-hmm. and it's a book uh, that talks about like, a, you know, space exploration and science fiction that I love at the time, but in a really subtle, like clever way. And I don't know why I was thinking about that book the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, um, your biggest sources of inspiration? I guess it could be current or or past. Mm, and it one. doesn't have to be illustrators or animators either. It could be uh, painters or movie makers. I don't. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know. Like, uh, I think probably, uh, pro- probably in in the last few years, it's been like. Uh, in general Barcelona to me like Mm -hmm. I I know it's not too specific but it was like since we started coming more to Barcelona and and being around here it completely changed my the way of understanding like how I was understanding art is way less commercial there's so many like you know independent artists running their their little business here and I think as well all the you know like we we are like we live near like surrounded by so many beautiful buildings, uh, modernist buildings, that I think it's been, it's been an inspiration. That, Definitely. Yeah. And I think as well, uh, for me, in 
in more the last few years as well uh becoming more of an adult and as an artist i've enjoyed seeing a lot of um new female directors and um script writers uh like lena dunham and greta gerwig and mm-hmm. anisa ray and i've enjoyed so much watching new films or series with such a distinct voice that really feels of our generation i think that that also really helps me to to feel like i can uh hold my ground and make points or call things out when i feel like they're unfair uh in public i feel that being able to see yourself represented more in popular culture allows mm-hmm. you to feel like you have a lot more of a voice and you're more justified to say something that makes sense mm okay uh and the last one um favorite movies i guess that goes back to what you were just saying but that's difficult i think well my most recent favorite movie has got to mm-hmm. be uh francis ha uh Greta Gerwig. yeah 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 i just i fell in love with that film and every time i watch it i am in love again <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, it's filmed in black and white too right it's yeah yeah and yeah. It's, it's such a lovely film and kind of nothing really happens in it and it mm-hmm. just makes me smile throughout those are my favorite movies where nothing <laughs> yeah. happens that is that's the genre it's my favorite genre <laughs> mm-hmm. it's relaxing they, to me that you mentioned uh it makes me think about like lady bird is being a film mm-hmm. we found mm-hmm. what's we we watched maybe like three times now and it's such a nice film like me and katie we we both love like coming of age do you call them coming of age or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. coming yeah. of age type of films like i don't really know why like but we love those mm-hmm. like and th- th- it's in the last few years there's been so many amazing ones mm-hmm. i mean boyhood was an incredible film yeah somewhere. that one i love too and, and, yeah. and last year was the name of that like a is the it's like grade 11 or th- like oh no eighth grade eighth grade oh, oh an so amazing good. film <laughs> i haven't seen that yeah oh it's really good yeah and there's one coming out soon, I think, called Book Smart. That looks it's about two uh, two girls coming of age, and one of them is gay too. So I really, I'm really excited about that one. Oh, I haven't heard about that. Definitely, it's interesting because me and Katie, we both loved that. Uh, like even before we met each other, like uh, movies like uh, Mean Girls. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, they are feeling a bit old now. Like when you, <laughs> I know, when, I, when it's still a movie it. I rewatch because it's a <laughs> yeah. classic. Yeah, but but it's so great that now they are making these yeah, coming of age films that feel more fresh, and they are talking about different things. So it's amazing. I really love them. It's so funny that people used to think that I don't know, Sex in the City was revolutionary just because mm-hmm. it was some women on mm-hmm. screen, and now it's so problematic. <laughs> so maybe we'll say the same about these ones in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never found Sex in the City particularly interesting. I guess for me, I never identified with any of the women. But no. um, I can see why people liked it at the time. I don't it know. It's time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But now, I, rewatching it, I'm, I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I want to be respectful of your time. And you guys were, were like three minutes over time. So I think it's a good <laughs> place to end it. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. I think this has been a great conversation. Oh, thank you oh, so thank much. Thank you very it's much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And here was my conversation with Abel and Katie of Capesa Patata. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, or even if you didn't, you can uh, give me a shout out on Twitter at IH 
pod, or you can DM me on Instagram. You can find us on Instagram at illustration hour, and you can also email me at illustration hour podcast at gmail.com. If 